So if you want to take your worship folder out, we're starting a new series today. It's called uh, Say What? Uh, If you've ever read some of the teachings of Jesus in the Bible and been like, what in the world is he saying? I don't understand this. Or if you've been like kind of shocked by some of the things that Jesus taught, this series is for you. We're going to look over through the month of June. Uh, Jesus is honestly one of the, the smartest people who's ever lived, best teachers who ever existed. And yet some of the things he said were kind of difficult to follow. Let me just give you a few examples. If you're newer to church and faith, maybe some of this will be new to you. Some of you have been around a while. These are things you've read and maybe scratch your head about. For example, Jesus once taught, if your right hand causes you to sin, what did he say you should do to it? Cut it off and throw it away. If your right eye causes you to sin, what do you do to it? Is he literally saying we should maim ourselves? I don't know. What do we do with that? Teaching, because he said it. He said in another occasion, give to the one who asks you and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. Are we supposed to become doormats for Jesus? Like somebody goes, give me your car. And I'm like, I don't think so. Jesus said, give me your car. Okay. Is that what he meant? There's in the, like, the paradoxical teachings that Jesus had. Like he said, the last will be first and the first will be last. you like, okay, so at the golden crowd, do I line up at the end of the line and then let me go first? Or do I drive my car through the front of it like somebody did last week? <laughs> There's the uh, save your life and you'll lose it. Lose your life for my sake and you'll find it. And like, okay, so am I supposed to die? What do I do? We'll talk about this one actually today. There's the one teaching where it just freaked everybody out. Jesus says, whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood will have eternal life. Gross. Is that like cannibalism? Jesus actually taught this. There's another time, and I know that if you've got any familiarity with the Bible at all, you've worried about this. Jesus says every sin that everybody's committed can be forgiven except for one sin, blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. You sin against the Holy Spirit. That is not pardonable. Have you ever worried that you may have committed the unpardonable sin? Jesus talked about that. I'll be transparent with you. My own experience of the Bible, growing up, reading the Bible, reading Jesus, I didn't, I didn't understand a lot of it. I just didn't get it. I've studied the Bible for years now. I've got a lot of education behind me. There are still moments when I study Jesus and I go, I'm not sure I understand what you're asking me to do. So if you've had that experience, I'm just telling you, I'm with you. And so are a whole lot of other people. But we're going to try to endeavor in this series to to unlock what Jesus meant so we can act on it. So one of the things that makes Jesus hard to understand are just some barriers that just naturally exist. For example, when Jesus taught, he actually didn't speak in English. You know that. He he spoke in Aramaic. So his earliest disciples, when they heard him teach, they heard him speak in their native language, Aramaic. The gospel writers then translated that into Greek because while some people spoke Aramaic, everybody in the whole world of their time spoke Greek. It was like the English of their day. So then now we've taken the Greek manuscripts and we've translated them into English. So there's like three levels of separation between us and Jesus. So that's a kind of a barrier. Then you've got the fact that Jesus was talking 2,000 years ago in an entirely different culture. Things have changed a lot in 2,000 years. The audience would have taken some things for granted that he said that we just don't even see. Like when I teach, I try to pull in examples and analogies that we can all relate to. I want to try to get everybody in the room here on the same page. And we got such a wide range of ages so it's um, sometimes hard to do like some of you like if I were to use an analogy and I said well it was just like that cha-chung 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 how many of you know what I'm doing when I say cha-chung cha-chung a few of you do so here's the thing if you are a child of the 80s or 70s or before you know what cha-chung cha-chung is and if you're like younger than that you're like I have no idea what it is so before photocopiers were prevalent when teachers want to make handouts for class they use the mimeograph machine right here on the screen some of them were hand cranks some of them were electric how many of you remember 
you'll give away your age. How many remember what the paper smelled like? Oh, yeah. All right. So there, there's just one example. This is just 25 years ago, and I do ching ching and I leave half the room out. Imagine things that Jesus talked about from 2,000 years ago that leaves all of us out. We're like, I don't even know what he's talking about. And everybody who was listening to him, like, I know exactly what he's talking about. So we got that barrier. Here's the thing, though. Not all of Jesus' teachings are hard to understand because of that. Some of Jesus' teachings are just hard because we know exactly what he's saying and we just don't want to do it. <laughs> been there? I think Mark Twain probably speaks for all of us when he said, it ain't the parts of the Bible I don't understand that bother me. It's the parts that I do understand. Right? So when we look at Jesus and we listen to his teachings, we've got to realize there were people who were in the audience when he talked. There's no language barrier. There's no culture barrier. They're literally sitting there listening to Jesus teach, and they're like, really? Are you sure about this? Like John 6, 60, Jesus has just given one of his most intense teachings, just very, very hard to hear. And John 6, 60, here's the response to the crowd. Many of the disciples said, this is very hard to understand. How can anyone accept it? And here's what happened, verse 66. Because of what Jesus said, many of his disciples turned their backs on him and stopped following him. They're like, just left. Thousands of people. And then there's like this little crowd left after he's done teaching. Now you might look at that and you go like, well, apparently Jesus isn't a very good teacher. <laughs> That's the response he got. I don't think so. Jesus is an amazing teacher. Think about it this way, and this is in your worship folder because I want you to think about this in relation to Jesus as a teacher. A great teacher says things that you may not understand or accept in such a way that you'll never forget it so that it sticks with you until you do understand it or you do accept it. That's a sign of a great teacher, and Jesus was a great teacher. He would put things in your mind that you may not accept or understand, but you can't forget it either, and you keep mulling it over. You ever got a hull of popcorn stuck in your tooth? You kind of keep playing with it until you get it out? That's what Jesus is doing with some of these outlandish, hyperbolic teachings. He's putting something in your mind that he does not want you to let go of. He wants you to wrestle with it until you understand it or until you're willing to do something with it when you do understand it. So when we're going to look at Jesus' teachings all through June, would you just do something? And you don't have to raise your hand or anything, but would you at least remain open to the idea of acting on what Jesus teaches us to do? So if you're here, I'm going to make an assumption about you. You are either currently a follower of Jesus and you've committed to him, or you're here because you're at least interested in him. Why don't we take him seriously? In fact, one time Jesus actually said the wisest thing a person could ever do was to listen to his teachings and actually put them into practice. So there you go. We're going to do that today. Let's go ahead and jump into one of his more famous difficult teachings. It's in Matthew chapter 16. If you've got a Bible there with you, go ahead and turn there. Uh, smartphone, pull it up on your smartphone in the Bible app. While you're doing that, let me invite you to do something else. Through this series, I'm going to pick three difficult teachings that we're going to look at. The fourth Sunday is yours. We're going to take your questions about what Jesus did or taught. I've got a panel of experts who will be down here on the last Sunday in June answering your questions. So here's what you can do. You can write it on the Connect card. I know we've already collected those today, but my email address is on the worship folder. So you can email me your questions. I'm on Twitter, so you can find me on Twitter and you can tweet your questions. Whatever you want to do, just submit questions and we'll tackle them on that last Sunday in June. All right, so you got your Bible, right? Let's go to Matthew chapter 16. We're going to start in verse 24. It says here, Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, 
take up his cross, and then follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me will find it. Hey, what good will it be for a person if he gains the whole world yet forfeits his soul? What can a man give in exchange for his soul? For the Son of Man is going to come in his Father's glory with his angels, and then he will reward each person according to what he's done. And I'm telling you the truth. Some of you who are standing here right now will not taste of death before they see the Son of Man coming into his kingdom. Like, what in the world does that mean? Take up your cross, save your life to lose it? So I've done something intentional here. I've actually dropped us into the middle of a conversation. And I did that on purpose. You ever walked into a room and you realize you've walked into the middle of something? <laughs> like everybody is, they're red in their face, they look angry, and you're like, okay, I'm just going to leave and let you all finish that argument. So I did this on purpose. I wanted you to hear the difficult teaching of Jesus, but then I want now, before we ever explain what it means, I want to just zoom out a little bit and see what prompted Jesus to say this. Because Jesus didn't just show up one day and say, guys, come on, I want to, today my topic is carrying your cross. He's actually responding to something that someone said. So let's zoom out just a little bit, which is always a good idea if you're reading the Bible. Just try to figure out the context around it. What we could do is just go a few verses back in Matthew. Um, but I want to go over to the Gospel of Mark. Mark tells the same account. He just adds a few details that Matthew doesn't. Let's go back. and You can follow along in Matthew if you want. It's almost word for word. But in Mark 8.30, we find out what happened just before Jesus gave this teaching. It says here, Jesus began telling his disciples what was going to happen to him. See, this is toward the end of Jesus' teaching and preaching career. He's just about to be crucified. So he tells them that. He says, the, the, the leaders of the Jewish people are going to make the Son of Man suffer terribly. Jesus is talking about himself in third person. He says, it's going to make the Son of Man suffer terribly. He will be rejected and killed, but three days later he will rise to life. Jesus then clearly explained what he meant. At this point, Peter took Jesus aside, told him, stop talking like that. And then Jesus turned and he saw the other disciples. Apparently he realizes all the other disciples are listening to what Peter's doing here. And he turns to Peter and he says, Satan, get away from me. You're thinking like everyone else and not like God. And then at this point, Jesus gathered the crowd around him and he said, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, follow me. Okay, so we go back to Matthew. Jesus' teaching was prompted by something that Peter said. And, and you might think like, well, Peter, like stupid Peter. Peter was only saying what everybody else was thinking. Jesus starts talking about dying, and everybody in the crowd is like, wait a minute, you're not going to die. You're going to be our next king. You're going to overthrow the Romans, and it's going to be awesome, and so you can't die. And so Peter, just the natural leader, spokesman for the group, he comes to Jesus and pulls him aside, but he's saying what everybody else is thinking. Jesus, you've got to stop this crucifixion talk. This is like, you're going to lose the crowd. You know, you can't do that. This is not... And so Jesus says, wait a minute. And this is where he rebukes Peter. And then we have a literal come to Jesus meeting. He really gathers all the disciples. He calls not just the 12 disciples. He calls the crowd together. He says, I don't know where you think this train is going. So let me be very clear. This is where this is going. If you want to follow me in just a few short days and weeks, I am going to be crucified. If you want to follow me, that is what you're signing up for. Let's be very clear about this. And this is one of those moments where, okay, so this is 2,000 years ago, but Jesus is not just talking to them. He's looking past them at us. Jesus is talking to every single person who would ever consider following him. This is not just for 2,000 years ago. This is for 2015. 
You need to know before you sign up for following me what this is going to entail. You need to know what it takes to follow me. You need to know what's going to cost you. And then, but he, but he balances out because he says, I think you also ought to know what you're going to get in exchange for following me. And so that's what he does. Let's go ahead and dig into this teaching. And what I want to start with is what Jesus started with. He said, here's what it re- is required of following me. You are going to lose your life. That's requirement number one. If you want to follow me, you will lose your life. You may want to write that down because if you're a Christian, you signed up for this. If you're contemplating it, you need to know what's required of you. You've got to lose your life. Deny yourself. Take up your cross. Follow me which I still, okay, it's one thing to know what Jesus said. It's another thing to know what he meant. Take up your cross. Is that like start wearing religious jewelry? It's like I'm supposed to wear a cross necklace? You know, like Ozzy Osbourne wears a cross. Does that make him a Christian? Uh, Madonna, she not only wears a cross, sometimes she crucifies herself on her concert. Does that make her a Christian? Tim Tebow is a Christian. He says he's a Christian, and he wears a cross, so, you know, what is Jesus talking about here? You know, actually, I think we all get it, that a lot of athletes and celebrities and actors, they, they wear the cross as more of a fashion statement. They wear religious paraphernalia just as a, it has nothing to do with their beliefs. It's just like, here's something I think looks cool. In fact, the latest trend that I'm here seeing is, you see people wearing a cross sideways on their necklace? Like Selena Gomez and um, Jennifer Lopez and Kelly Ripa, just a lot of people are wearing sideways crosses. I have no idea what it means, but maybe you can explain it to me later. Is that what Jesus meant when he said, take up a cross? I don't think so. This is one of those times where it's very helpful to say, okay, 2,000 years ago when Jesus was talking, what did people in the audience think he was talking about? (coughs) Something you need to know is 2,000 years ago, the cross was really common. And it wasn't jewelry either. Back then, the cross was a way that Roman, uh, the Roman government subjugated all the people that they conquered. They made them submit by killing a bunch of people. And it was a very public thing. The equivalent would be like if you were to go to Target and see somebody who had been hung in the parking lot. It was just a very common thing. It was an instrument of terror to make people afraid. Excuse me. Anybody heard of Spartacus? I am Spartacus. (coughs) Spartacus rebelled against the Roman government. He was squashed. 6,000 of his followers were captured and crucified along a 120-mile-long road. You think like 6,000 people, what does that look like? Imagine getting on Interstate 70 at the Arch, driving all the way out to Mizzou in Columbia, and there's a person crucified on either side of the interstate every 100 or 200 feet for two hours. Rome used the cross as a way of saying, you do not want to cross us, literally, or this is what will happen to you. Very common. It was a horrible way to die, just excruciating. We get the the English word excruciating from the cross, the Latin word for cross. It was something that Rome wouldn't even do to their own citizens. They said it's too inhumane to crucify a Roman citizen. We'll use this on our enemies. They rarely, if ever, crucified a woman. And if they did, they crucified her face to the cross because nobody wanted to see a woman suffer like that. Uh, Josephus, who was a Jewish historian, said that it was just an unspeakable horror, the most most wretched of deaths. The Roman philosopher Cicero said crucifixion should never be spoken of in polite company. It was just a horrible thing. You ever, <clears throat> I'm sorry to bring it up, but do you, did you see on CNN the, the pictures of the Christians being led out to the beach to be beheaded? If you saw those pictures and how horrifying they were and the horror that you felt, that's the sensation people felt about the cross when you brought it up. It was just horrible. Something else you need to know about it that they all knew, there was no going back once you were sentenced to death by crucifixion. 
remember when Jesus was crucified, what did they do to him? They made him carry his own cross out to his execution place, right? Once that beam hit your shoulders, and by the way, it was recycled. Wood was too expensive to just use once, so they used those things over and over and over. So you got this beam with holes in it and dried blood. Once that hit your shoulder, you could not be pardoned. Not even the Roman emperor could pardon you. You were still alive, technically, but there was only one way this was ending. It was in your death. So picking up your cross meant you're not going anywhere you want to, and this is not going to end well for you. So let's go back. And let's ask, what did Jesus mean when he said, if you want to follow me, you've got to pick up a cross? It wasn't a pleasant piece of jewelry to them. It was a horrible thing. Well, I can tell you what he didn't mean, so let's get that out of the way. This is not jihad for Jesus. This is not, okay, if you sign up to be a Christian, you've got to go out and kill yourself or kill a whole bunch of other people too. It's not drink the Kool-Aid. Here's how I know. So when Jesus was crucified, how many of his disciples were crucified alongside of him? zero. Did they not understand that he said, take up your cross? 50 days after Jesus died and rose from the dead, the church began. 3,000 people were surrendered their life to Jesus and were baptized in water. How many of them were crucified that day? Zero. Again, did they not understand what Jesus meant by take up your cross? Apparently, it doesn't mean something literal. It doesn't mean that you have to die literally to become a Christian. You might die as a Christian, but that's not, (coughs) excuse me, Here's the other thing that it doesn't mean. Kind of in English, we've, we've taken the idea of carrying your cross in the wrong direction. Like we'll say, oh, my shoulder hurts, and it just hurts all the time. And I guess that's my cross to bear in life, you know, my pain. Or, you know, my sister's such a dork. I guess she's my cross to bear in life. That's not what Jesus had in mind either. Let's talk about what he did have in mind. I think Jesus was using the cross as a symbol of surrender and submission. That's certainly what it was when you were executed. You can't determine where you go once the cross hit your shoulder. Jesus, when he was crucified, was submitting, wasn't he? Was he submitting to the Roman government, though? He said, like, look, I can put an end to this, this farce of my execution anytime I want. I can just say the word, and my father will send 10,000 angels to stop this thing. I'm not giving up my life. Nobody's taking it from me. I'm laying it down myself, and I'm going to pick it back up when I want to, three days later. Who was Jesus submitting to when he was executed? His heavenly father. The Father said there's only one way to save humanity. We need to sacrifice ourselves. And Jesus said, I'll do it. And it's the same thing for us. It's a symbol of our sin to our Heavenly Father. When you take up your cross, it's a picture of surrendering the control of your life to Jesus. That's what you sign up for when you become a Christian. In Luke 9.23, Luke tells the same exact teaching, but he adds one extra word. He says, deny yourself, take up your cross daily. So as far as I know, like dying is a one-time thing, which is also, by the way, ironically, pretty easy to do. People die all the time. That's not hard. What's hard is relinquishing control of your life to somebody else. We like to have our hands at 10 and 2 on the steering wheel of our lives. Like, nobody's going to tell me what to do. I'm living my life the way I want to live it. When you become a Christian, you say, you know what? I'm going to let God tell me how I live my life. I'm going to, to do what he says. If God says, I want you to do this, you go, okay, instead of, no, I just don't think I want to do that. If God says, don't do that, you don't say, well, I don't know, it looks kind of fun, God. God says, don't do that. Well, I don't know, everybody else is doing it. Looks like it's working out okay for them. God says, don't do it, and you go, I think it'll work out okay for me. You lose the right to do that when you turn your life over to God because you take up your cross daily. Let me ask you some questions. If this is really death to your current self-centered life, if you're considering becoming a Christian, let me just ask you some questions before you ever do that. Are you willing to follow Jesus if it means losing your closest friends? 
if you lose your job because of being a Christian, lose your reputation, lose your life, are you willing to do that? Hey, if you're a Christian here, I'm not going to let you off the hook either. Are you ignoring God's will in some area of your life right now? You're sitting here, and you know that God wants you to do something, and you're not doing it. Is there something in your life that you know doesn't belong, and you're just letting it stay there instead of asking for God's help and asking for a friend to help you and pray with you? Is there something that you're just allowing to be there that God has clearly said get rid of it? Are you justifying bad thinking and bad behavior? When you took up your cross, you said, Jesus' will, not mine. I'm going to surrender to his will. Great way to know if you've actually done this. Dallas Willard says this. He says, being dead to yourself is the condition where the mere fact that you don't get what you want doesn't surprise you and it doesn't offend you and it certainly doesn't have any control over you. Just think of the last time that you couldn't control what was happening. Did you freak out? This is what you sign up for. And here's the, here's the reason that, that God does this. And it's not because God's a control freak. Jesus actually points this out in, down in verse uh, 26, I believe it is. He says, I'm sorry, verse 20, uh, 25. He says, whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me will find it. What he's saying is, you're not losing anything by giving up your current life. Your current life is doomed. If you continue to hang on to your life and you keep your hands on the steering wheel, you're hanging on to something that's not going to end well. Why not trade that in for something that is going to end well? And what Jesus is saying is, I want to give you true life, new life, but you can't have the new life until you give up the old life. You can't have my things until you relinquish control to me. You can't be in Detroit and Destin at the same time. You have to choose one or the other. Any of you ever seen Restaurant Impossible? The show on Food Network. It's actually pretty good. Chef Robert Irvine goes into these struggling restaurants, and he uh, tries to figure out what's wrong with them, and he offers them a makeover, but he also says, you've got to start doing things my way. And invariably what he does is he comes into these struggling restaurants. He first of all sits down and orders their food and either retches when he tries to eat it or he retches when he goes back into the kitchen and sees how nasty it is. And then he sits down with the owners and he's like, things have got to change. And invariably they fight him. What are you doing? It's obvious what you're doing now is not working and yet you're going to tell him that you know better? You're like, if, if it was working, he wouldn't be here. <laughs> what he's saying is I'm going to give you a new restaurant but it doesn't matter if I give you a new restaurant. If you keep doing things the same old way, you're still going to be losing money and going out of business. You have to give up the old to embrace the new. Jesus is saying the same thing to us. If your life is working so good, then why is it that you're seeking me for help? And it's not when we're in our most honest moments. And so it's so ironic. How many times have you ever thought, like, God, I need your help with this? But then when God comes through, you're like, okay, now I'm good now. Thank you. <laughs> we keep doing things our way. And, and God's like, God's not like Robert Irvine. Robert Irvine actually yells at these restaurant owners. But I wonder how many times God looks at us and says, look, you want this, but you're not going to have this until you give up this, until you in quit insisting on doing things your way, which a lot of times the Bible just says this is sin. Following your own will takes you away from God, and it's sin. So... This is the thing. Jesus says, just do the math. In verse 26, he says, what, can you, what, what good will it be for a man if he gains the whole world that yet loses his soul? Like, there is nothing that the world can offer you that is more valuable than you. You can lose everything, but if God gives you eternal life, you've, you've come out ahead, which is why 
the last thing I want to point out here is the reward that he offers us if you follow him. So you can give up your life, which is already doomed anyway. It's already apart from God. You're already cut off from God. You're dead in your sins. And he's offering you something new. The reward is eternal life. Simply by giving up the thing that's already bad anyway, you gain eternal life. And I love this. Jesus says it's really worth it to follow me. Just, just figure it out. Do the math. And he says this. Uh, he says just understand that I will be coming back and I will give a reward. Over in uh, Titus, Apostle Paul wrote this to a young pastor named Titus. So that's why they call it Titus. And Paul wrote these words to him. He said, the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all people. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passion and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age while we wait for the blessed hope, the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. So the grace of God is Jesus Christ. And I love what it says back in verse 11. It says, the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to us and it teaches us to say no to ungodliness. You, if you got that verse, you can underline that word, teaches us to say no. That's the same exact word there as when Jesus says, deny yourself. I love this picture because when Jesus says, I want you to deny yourself and take up your cross, some of you might be like, okay, I've got to grit my teeth. I've got to work really hard. I've got to try to be a really good person. And the Bible doesn't say that at all. All it says is you have to ask God for his help and then he will teach you how to follow him, how to say no to ungodliness, how to become the new person. God takes full responsibility for that. All we have to do is say yes to God. It starts in our will, and then it, that's where willpower ends. God comes in, and he does all the heavy lifting. When you say yes to Jesus, it's not like, okay, I've got to be really self-disciplined. I've got to show up to church every Sunday and read my Bible, and God hates me if I don't. No. When you simply say yes to Jesus, all the forces of good in the universe line up behind you to help you do the next right thing. You're not on your own in this. When Jesus says, deny yourself, take up your cross, he's helping you. He's offering you an amazing gift, and he'll do it all for you. All you have to do is say yes. Take your hands off the steering wheel. All right, I'm going to surrender to you, Jesus. And a lot of you have done that. You've, you've said, I believe Jesus is the Christ. You've walked into the waters, and you've been baptized. I don't know, some of you, I, I pray every week that we have people here who haven't done that yet. Maybe today's the day you start really taking this seriously of surrendering your life to Jesus and saying yes to him. And, and if you have surrendered your life to Jesus, you know what he calls on you to do? This is not like a one-time thing. It's not one and done. I've been in the baptistry. This is daily taking up your cross and submitting to Jesus. In fact, let's talk to Jesus about that right now. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for sending Jesus and help, help us to just obey his teaching to take him seriously and to actually ask for your help to do these things, I pray we would surrender our lives to you. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.